Here we are, off and running, February 21st, 2016, lecture discussion uh, number 230 on the Book of Romans. I'm relatively convinced that that's correct for you internet folks. I said in the pregame that I noticed a, a very thoughtful, politically astute man who has great character uh, said that he sees that the country as we know it is on the brink of ruin. I found that fascinating. I pay attention when men who have devoted their life uh, to a God-honoring path see things like that and express it. Uh, Also, the Middle East, my goodness, any minute now, we're going to see a major development, in my view, uh, in the Middle East. So, But here we are, um, back as as normal. Last week, um, you might not know, those of you on the Internet, that... uh, we had, we had the suspension of cliffside activities caused by the Super Bowl, so I thought last week it was best to uh, discuss some of the Middle East geopolitical activities as they relate to the sign of the taking of the bride, because I think that we will be able to see the coming of the taking of the bride. We won't, won't know the day, we won't know the hour, but we'll be able to see the door, we'll be able to see signs showing us the imminency of it, so, and I believe it'll happen very quickly. And so I um, addressed that a little bit to kind of catch us up. And I also um, um, announced uh, the uh, A-LIGO detection of gravitational waves, that it was a very important uh, piece of information for us uh, to understand and recognize because that is a biblical event, and we'll discuss that in a minute. And, of course, the bronze serpent of Numbers 21 and John 3, 13 through 17. So that's to give you kind of a recap of where we were. Admittedly, if you happen to, um, as an Internet person, wonder by our little cliffside operation here at beautiful downtown cliffside, uh, and, and we are neither beautiful nor downtown, by the way, you might have left with the mistaken impression that the one-eyed, big-boned male lecturer is without a comprehensive plan. You would have said, wow, what's he, this guy would do, doing? Some would say, or they would call me disorganized. Others are a little bit more aggressive. Uh, they bring allegations of diminished acuity. Uh, that's a kind way of saying um, that they think I'm an idiot. Uh, as you know, I, I get a lot of hate mail, not so much lately. I have beaten them back. It's really kind of a sad thing. I'm, I'm really kind of, uh, I'm lonely now. I've enjoyed them attacking me for all these years, and they've kind of given me no inf- or no attention now, and uh, I'm kind of uh, filled with remorse over their absence. Every now and then, though, I do get some, and I, uh, being a highly trained religious professional, I can uh, determine very quickly that what I'm going to read is is hate mail. Being highly trained, again, it gives you that skill over time. That and the letters usually begin, dear, very stupid person, or something to that effect. You wouldn't believe what they write me. It's, it is hilarious. Um, but uh, I have gotten, dear, very stupid person, they say man or pastor, but uh, I've gotten that at least a, f- a few times. Anyway, occasionally I feel a need to... Uh, preemptively avert the incoming accusatory challenges to my intellective functionality. That's another kind way of saying I'm not yet completely a moron. 
I do have a plan. It may seem disorganized, but I actually have one. If you endured last week, today, this will make up for it, I hope. Notice I said not yet completely a moron. That's a little nuanced disclaimer there. So, all of that. And my voice is kind of shot today. I don't know why. I don't yell at anybody. Uh, It just sometimes goes away, and today's the day. We're going to start today at Romans 8.11 and start, start, begin to put some fundamental pieces together for you. So let's go to Romans 8.11. Read that together. <coughs> we have no cough button here at Cliffside. You're, you're going to be miserable right along with me. This is, after all, a Roman study, so occasionally I feel like I need, just for morale's sake, to throw in some Romans for you. But here we go, 8.11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So right next to that, write Holy Spirit is a very important verse to know, to have command of. Right in your Bible, right next to it, aside of it, Holy Spirit. Let me read it again. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8.11 is of the greatest importance because it establishes the Holy Spirit of God and His role in the resurrecting of the Son. So that's why you pay attention to it. Now let's move to uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians um, uh, 9 and 10. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15.15 15 if you wish. I pick Thessalonians. Uh, don't ask me why. I just do. Don't really, I don't think I actually have a reason as I'm reflecting while I'm turning pages. But uh, here we are, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice that that adjective or that description, the living and true. He is living and he is true. That's valuable for us, as you know. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So I have First Thessalonians, what is it, 1, uh, 9, and 10. And that establishes the Father's aspect of the resurrection. And then there, of course, is John 2. Let's go there. 18 and 19. So now John 2. And this is, I hope, the most familiar. Right son next to this one, if you will. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. We'll continue. Then the Jews said it it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. 
three days, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So that is where the Son, so I have the Holy Spirit, I have the Father, I have the Son, the triunity of God, all participate in the resurrection. That's critically important for you to know. Can I erase that now? I have to, because we have a lot to do. But recognize, let's just put it over here, that the triune Godhead is intimately involved in the resurrection. As you should expect, they would be intimately involved in all aspects of the crucifixion. How can you separate one of them out? You can't. They are. There is a. Uh, they're non-separable. Okay. So far, so good. Everybody still on the bus? Need to know that uh, that the Son, Christ, says He resurrects Himself. The Bible says all over the place, by the way. I just picked these so that you'll have them. The Bible says the Father resurrects the Son. uh, And the Bible says the Holy Spirit resurrects the Son. We would expect that, uh, wouldn't we, with the the aspects of the triunity of God. Okay? So we just place the Father, the Spirit, the Son, all are resurrectors of Jesus Christ. And this is a fundamental truth of the Bible, it's a defining truth of the Bible, and it's one that you need to have command of. The resurrection of Christ is alongside. Now, what do you should you what should you do once you say to yourself, "Okay, the Bible is specifically telling me, wow, look at it snow." Those of you on the internet were having a beautiful uh, summer day, and it uh, it looks like it's snowing significantly. That's a, that caught me by surprise because normally when we do here, what we do here, it's always so dark we can't see what's going on. So that's why we are in Alaska because we love the dark and the cold. But, uh, now we're watching it snow and we're all delighted like we've never seen it before. Uh, isn't it amazing how we do that? That's all we get here. I mean, oh, that's right. We have to have it for the dog races and what we call that other stuff we need, water. Water that separates us, by the way, from places like, let's say, California. <laughs> Why would you live in a place where you don't have any water? That makes no sense to me. I'm going to go live where I'll die of thirst if the electricity goes off. I never understood that. Supper, Dave. You're making me nervous over there. What are you doing? Oh, you're filming snow. Oh, oh, my goodness. I mentioned to Supper Dave the other day that uh, he called me and I said, what's up? What's up? So finally I pointed out to him that he has an entire army of people that go around saying, what's up? And they're referring to him, obviously, because that's his name. In case you were wondering why he has such a strange name. I used to tell people, well, he's definitely not Super Dave. We take what we can get here. Anyway. Where was it? Resurrection of Christ. All three persons of the unseparable triune Godhead are intimately involved. So what should you do once you have established that, which is relatively easy or quickly to do, you should now begin to go find all other places that they are involved in as a totality. Now, 
Again, that's a human way of saying something that I can't describe. I cannot separate them. They're always a totality. totality. They cannot be divided out. Don't divide them out. It is blasphemy to do so. Those who will stand up, and they do it all the time. There's a new Christian movie about, I think it's called Risen. I'm I'm just scared. I'm not scared, but I won't watch it because I know it'll be difficult. I know that they will separate the Son from the Father. And that is to degrade the deity of Christ. You must maintain this sanctity, if you will, of the three of them always being one. There is never a time where Christ is not God, right? You hear me say that all the time. So, quickly, I just established as fast as I can that the triunity of God describes all of it to be involved in the resurrection. All of them resurrect Christ simultaneously. You would expect it. It has to be true by basic math. What else does the Bible tell us that they are also likewise uh, described. Well, I will help you. That's why I get the large sums of money I get. You can tell by my clothing. Uh, never mind. Why do you dress so well, people will ask me. No, no one said no one ever, right? They're involved in the creation, as you know. So now I have a creation resurrection Connection, the creation of all things. The resurrection of Christ is alongside of the creation of all things. So that means to God they have a similarity. There's a reason he does it. Once again, in the creation, the Father is declared to be the creator of all things. Throughout the Bible, Jesus Christ... Uh, I'm sorry, let me say that again. The Bible... Th- Throughout the Bible, the Father is declared to be the creator of all things. Jesus Christ is declared to be the creator of all things. Notably in John 1.3 and Colossians 1.15-17. Likewise, as we should expect, the Holy Spirit, creator of all things. Genesis 1.2, Job 33.4. So again, this creation and the resurrection are placed side by side for us to look at and ask, why are they side by side? Genesis 1, 1 through 4, cements the doctrine of the triune God acting as, as they do in the resurrection of Christ together in the creation of life, or if you will, living souls on earth. What does it say in Genesis 1, 1 through 4? Well, you know the spirit moves or the spirit hovers, right? You should remember that part. We hear a voice. I'm going to say the Father speaks, the Spirit moves, and the sun of light comes to the darkness. So again, all three involved in the creation in a way. And there it is, Elohim, which the him is a plurality. God describes himself in the plural. He calls himself us. The man has become like one of us. God the Father is defined as creator a God of uh, eternal creator resurrecting God, God the Son, eternal resurrecting creator God, that he's described the same, God the Spirit equally, eternal creator resurrecting God, both in the creation. And uh, the creation and the resurrection are aligned, and there is absolute equality given 
to uh, the triune Godhead. And that brings us to where we left off last week. You should ask, while I move on, where else do you think the triune Godhead is emphasized in the Bible doing something? Because there is other places. And we should know all those places. That will tell us. We know that the resurrection is one. We know the creation is one. You can invert those if you will. What are the others? The baptism of Christ is absolutely correct. Where else? Gethsemane. Where else? Transfiguration. Where else? See, he's doing it. He's, he's got a reason. I'm going to tell you Genesis 15. So you can begin to go through the Bible and find these places where the Godhead is moving as a what it is always a unit. I, I struggle because we we have a finite mind trying to explain an infinite concept, and we can't. I say all the time and not enough. If somebody stands in front of you on a pulpit and says, I'm now going to explain uh, completely the triunity of God, throw your chair at the stage and run out the door. Because that person has no ability to explain this. None of us do. We can't even hardly conceive it. Just know that it is true and know that it is assigned, if you will, to certain specific pieces in Scripture. Okay? Got all that? Good. Ah. Proverbs 30. That's where we left off. Mostly it's called the question of Agar. Or the questions of Agar. The great mystery of Agar, if you will. You'll hear that as well. And the big question of the questions is, what is the name of the Son? So, Proverbs 30, verse 4. Actually, you should go 1 through 6. Let me just put that up there. 1 through 6. Proverbs 30, 1 through 6 are the, is the questions of Agur. And the predominant question that most theologians have focused on is, the name of the Father has been established. The Spirit has been established. What is the name of the Son? No one knew the name. It was a mystery. And it remained a mystery until when exactly in Scripture did it get answered? It got answered at John 3. 13, actually probably 12 through 19. Let's just go for that. John 3, 12 through 19. Nicodemus comes to visit Christ and he says, I know you're the Messiah. And Christ says, I'm not just the Messiah. I am the answer to this question in Proverbs 30 that everyone had wrestled over and knew. Christ himself says that I am the answer to that question. Christ gives it to Nicodemus. And by the way, he describes Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel. So this is God himself, the Word made flesh, Telling Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. 
the teacher, and you don't know the answer to the question of Agar in Proverbs 30, verse, Proverbs 30, verse 4. Okay, and that, by the way, starts our flow chart, if you will. That's what we're going to do today. Proverbs 31 through 6 takes me to John 3, 12 through 19. Now, some people don't start with uh, do it this way. This is my way of doing it. You can choose your own system. Mine is not sacrosanct, um, but I'm going to put mine in front of you, and then uh, you can make your own adjustments. Let's go to Proverbs 30, and we'll read 1 through 6. The wisdom of Agur, or Agur. The words of Agur, the son of Jekia, Jekah, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and Ukol. This is what Agur says. Surely I am more stupid than any man. I've always loved him for that. And do not have the understanding of a man. I, I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. So next week we'll decide what he means by the Holy One. He obviously is contrasting himself with somebody who either thinks he has wisdom or does have wisdom. Let's continue. Verse 4. Now he starts to ask seven questions. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? That's rhetorical. It's implied that no one knows the name of the son. Every word of God is pure. He is the shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. In case you were wondering, how is it that the Mormons did not notice that verse? Oh. And what was that? They do delete it from their Bible. Absolutely they do. They delete all of those such things from their Bible. Okay? Now, what I want you to note is that every word of God down there in verse 5 is once again Elohim. And that is probably passed over many times. But there again, the triunity of God, and that, by the way, is the same as in Genesis 1-2. So Elohim is in the creation. Elohim is here with Agar, or Agar. Elohim is in the crucifixion. Elohim is in the resurrection. Okay? So I want you to start to start to gather that and put it in your your little flow chart or your little diagram that we're going to do here soon. Note also this bounding up the waters in a garment. If you were here the last couple of weeks, I talked about in the creation he divides the waters from the waters. So he makes it, uh, he tells you specifically, I have water and I have water and I divide the water and I put atmosphere or firmament. He calls the firmament heavens. So I have water and I have space, if you will. 
heavens in between the waters. That's how he describes his creation of living souls. It's one of the things he does as he begins to make life on earth. So we have here again, it's referenced, uh, who has bound the waters in a garment? So that's Genesis 1-7, the dividing of the water. And then also this ascending and descending. That is a great mystery. Let's make sure that I don't skip a page. When you can figure out what he means, who has descended into heaven or descended, that is such a valuable piece of information to have for all students of the Bible. Because, again, once you have that, many of the struggles with regarding the person of Christ disappear. Within the context of the ascending and the descending, those are the, that's number one and number two of the seven questions. There's seven questions here. Know that. And their rhetorical implications is that these seven questions aren't being answered by man. Only God can answer these. And that is, by the way, how we get from Proverbs 31 through 6 to John 3, uh, 12 through 19. Because in John 3, 12 through 19, Christ himself to Nicodemus, answers these questions. Christ says, I am, it is me. I am the ascender and the descender. That is me. And immediately we recognize that Christ is identifying his descension into the earth, in his creation. The light coming to the darkness. So this is the hypostatic union, if you will, or the God-man, the Jesus-God. He is descending and ascending, and only he can do it. He makes that very clear. We're going to read John 3, 12 through 13 in a second. Only Christ can ascend and descend. So that tells you that this is the solution to sin. This is the Word made flesh. This is the deity, uh, the absolute infinite deity uh, adding perfect humanity. Very important that you know that the humanity of Christ is always perfect. It is always, there cannot be anything but perfect, and it is therefore subject to his deity. Don't ever have a position where somehow you think that Christ's humanity has can be separated out from his deity and do something uh, autonomous, which is what you're going to see in what? Most of the movies. They treat Christ as if he is schizophrenic. By the way, as you know, the the multiple personality um, in the psychological field has been debunked. That has been the multiple personality movies back in the late or the 1960s, early the Three Faces of Eve or whatever it was that has been debunked as an absolute hoax. The author of all of that admitted it was made up completely. Multiple personalities, probably all complete nonsense. Just for fun, I threw that in. Jesus Christ, the man, cannot separate himself from infinite deity. And he can't wander off and do things that omniscient deity doesn't know about. But that's going to be in the movies. That is why I don't pay for those movies. That and the popcorn cost $25. 
even though I can be, I get a senior discount now. So instead, how much does a movie ticket cost? I don't even know. How much does it cost? You don't know either. Does anybody know what a movie theater ticket costs? Is it 20 bucks now? Pretty close? Do you get little glasses and stuff? Okay. I just don't have that kind of money. And uh, I, I make better popcorn. Ask anybody. All the things I do on my gravestone, it will probably say, he made really good popcorn. That's probably number one. Ask Amanda and my wife how good my popcorn is. Why would I pay for somebody else's popcorn? makes no sense. Ah, we're on. Okay, let's understand immediately that inside of the ascending and descending is the deity, God himself, adding humanity. That's why it's so difficult to explain. It's the great mystery of the incarnation, who, the mystery of godliness. Who can explain how God adds perfect humanity? And no one can. And that's, uh, that's being discussed in ascension into heaven or descended. So put that together for now. I'll prove that in a second. Uh, so let's go to John 3 now and read that. I recognize that today is kind of like a math class. We'll start at verse 12. He's talking to Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to him and says, I'm pretty sure that you are God, or you are the Messiah. And Christ says to him after a bit, starting in verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. Right there, Christ is referring to Proverbs 31 through 6. Also someplace else, I'll get to it in a second. Genesis 28, 10 through 13. What's that? I got to it now. That's the Jacob's ladder, right? But right here, he is answering this mystery of Agur to Nicodemus. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What he is saying is, is that this is only something that God can do. And therefore, I am who? I am God himself. Did Nicodemus figure that out? If not then, eventually. Nicodemus did amazing things. He got spices. He got a tomb. He worked it all out. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. That is, by the way, the goal, I think, of every Christian, to try to figure out what God is going to do before he does it. When you get there, you're at Nicodemus' level. Did any of us predict that God was going to snow four feet while we were here? Probably not. Though I don't believe there's such a thing as a vehicle in that parking lot that isn't at least all-wheel drive. Do we have any non-four-wheel drive vehicles up here? Do you? Oh, you have one, don't you? Okay, we have. You've lived here a long time. <laughs> For those of you on the internet, I should know better. It snows in June here. That's why we have four-wheel drive. Okay. God only. He says again. No one, 
No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So he's, he's telling you the Son of Man is God. He is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in this wilderness, so now he's tying Proverbs 30 to Numbers 21. He said, if you want to understand Proverbs 30, Numbers 21. You've got to go study that now, and you'll understand this, Nicodemus. How can I tell you heavenly things if you're not going to believe the earthly things? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Must. The word is must. The Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the universe, by the way. It says cosmos there. It's the word we uh, we have... Uh, the word there that we have made into cosmos. So, for God so loved his creation, all of it, not just Spinard or Muldoon or the earth. God loved all of his creation. There's a heavenly creation. For God so loved the universe or his creation would be better that he gave his only, there's only one of these, begotten. Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice that that's repeated. Not perish, but have everlasting life. Not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. That is a Genesis 1-2 reference. And men love darkness rather than light. Genesis 1-2 reference. Separation of light from darkness. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. The light is Christ. The Father speaks. The Spirit hovers. The light comes. No one has ascended but me. No one ascends and descends but me. And now next week we're going to get to the totality of the meanings of ascend and descend. But for today, recognize that this is the Incarnation or the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. And we have to know how God defines them. It's critical to understanding how all of this fits together. But again, for today, note the creation is linked to the resurrection. And there are other things that are linked by the triune aspect of God. The solution to sin and the triunity of the Godhead. All put together. Proverbs 31 through 5 takes us directly to John 3, 12 through 19. And then where do we go? Where do we go next? We had information about ascension and descension. We knew it had something to do with the, uh, the mystery of godliness. And so we came to John 3 and what, what was added? The bronze serpent. So that's right. So now, off we go to Numbers 21, where Moses lifts up the bronze serpent. John 3, 13, or 12 through 19 directly sends us to Numbers 21. 
the lifted up bronze serpent. Now, when I get to the lifted up bronze serpent, what happens there? Christ said, I have to be lifted up the same as uh, the bronze serpent was lifted up. I must be. It's, it's, it, it can't be anything but this. The serpent was lifted up, and I will be lifted up. What is the definition of lifted up? Remember this question, number of, uh, the fourth question of Proverbs 30. Who has bound the water in a garment? Who has lifted up and divided the waters, essentially? So, Numbers 21 takes us back to the fourth question of Proverbs 30. That's not an accident. And then, of course, as soon as we're at Numbers 21 and we have a lifted up serpent, where do we go next? I took us to where? I sent us over to Exodus 7. What was happening at Exodus 7? I had uh, the rod of Aaron swallowing up the rods of the wise men of the Pharaoh. And, of course, anytime I talk about a serpent, I'm at... Genesis 3.1, where I have the first mention of serpent. Numbers 21, John 3.13-17, because the Lord God Almighty identifies himself as the one, uh, only one who is going to be ascending and descending, he also identifies himself as the only one who is Typified, if you will, by the bronze lifted up servant of Numbers 21. And that takes us to the rod of Exodus 7, which also became a servant, serpent, sorry, which was cast down. So wait a minute there. I got a lifted up serpent and I have a cast down serpent. What's that? I have a serpent that was lifted up, ascended, and a serpent that was cast down, descended. Okay, where was I? I was going to take medicine. I had a wonderful lady write to me that she was worried that I had to take medicine in order to finish the lecture. Genuinely worried. Until she found out what the medicine was. And now I feel like I have an opportunity here. (laughs) Huh? Bill and Bonnie are saying she should be worried about the Diet Coke. But I could make it even more uh, interesting. I have an opportunity, as I said, uh, to get sympathy. Boy, I need as much sympathy as I can get, as you know. Uh, Okay. Where was I? Uh, Who knows? That's a rhetorical question that assumes that no one knows. Actually, I do know. Maybe now I found myself as a... Christ says he is the lifted up bronze serpent. As soon as I... That Moses lifted up. And as soon as he puts the word Moses in, where do I go now? I solve all of this. Now I'm in Deuteronomy 18.15. Do you remember that? Actually, it's 18.15, probably through 19 where Moses is described by God as a 
incredible type of Christ, the like unto me. And it shall be that whosoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. I'm going to read that again. But this is where Moses is set aside by God as someone that we look at as an individual. And when we can find the other one that connects to Moses, then that other one is God himself. So that is how we can prove that Christ is God. All we have to do, if you have any questions about whether or not Christ is actually God himself, creator God, resurrector God, life-giving God, eternal God, who is the true and living God, the number one evidence in the, in the Bible is Moses, the like unto me. So the Lord God... The Lord your God will raise up for you, this is 1815 of Deuteronomy, the prophet like me from your midst. This is what Moses is saying, like unto me. Moses is saying, the Lord your God to Israel will raise up the prophet like unto me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you, de- all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day that the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet, the prophet like unto you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. How many words, I asked last week, how many words does God have? How many words did he put in the mouth of Christ? How big does Christ have to be to have the infinite thoughts of God in him? As to likewise be God, right? Sameness. Equality. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require of him. The Bible puts it in there. Or some translations do. In other words, God will, if you do not hear what Christ says, God will require of you. Which means accountability is coming. Notice all the wills in that. Now, let me see. I will raise, he will, and, and will put, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words. Lots of wills in that passage. Three. And the evolutionists, of course, always say that there is no such thing as will. They say, as you know, all matter exploded from infinite gravity with no purpose. There is no willfulness. You have no free will. You can't willfully do anything. It's an illusion. That is evolutionary philosophy. 1815 disagrees. Anyway, I digress. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19 emphasizes this connection of Christ to Moses. Moses is this faint, dim picture of Christ. And we can figure out if Christ is, in fact, God by looking at Moses' life and everything he did. And Christ said, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, I am that lifted up bronze serpent. And Christ must be heard. Heard now. We've got to talk about hearing again. So that takes us, by the way, that got us back to Luke 14, 25 through 34, specifically Luke 14, 25 which is where I have this multitude following Christ. 
just like I have a multitude following Moses, and then Luke 14:34, which is the end of that segment in Luke, those uh, the cross beam and the and the love or the love and the cross beam and the tower and the surrendering king and salt is good. At the end of that, Christ says, "He who has ears to hear me." I added the me, but it's inferred. He who has ears to hear me, let him hear me. And that is Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. The like unto me that teaches us that this is God. It's a direct 18, 19 referral. Now I know what you're asking because you always ask it every time I do this. It's more like complaining actually. Some might say whining. You always ask me, because last week I attached all of that to uh, gravitational waves or gravitational phenomena. And you just, you just drool all over the floor. Half of you faint. There's nothing I can do about it. And uh, you want to know why I keep putting it in there. Well, as with the creation of living souls, the resurrection of the dead... This ascending and descending, the incarnation, the con- uh, the, um, the mystery of the of godliness, the lifting up. Again, Christ says in John three thirteen through fourteen, only I ascend and descend. So we're going to have to determine what that means. But for today, the connection that follows: the Son must be lifted up. Must. It isn't an option. You must hear him. It isn't an option in the sense that consequences come if you choose not to. So the prophet like unto Moses must be heard and the prophet like unto Moses must be lifted up. We have to define what lifted up means and what heard means. Again, the exclusiveness of all of this is unmistakable. There is only one person that must be heard, and that person is God himself. There's only one person that must be lifted up. There's only one person that can ascend and descend. So this exclusiveness, Christ alone. This is the truth, by the way, the doctrine of Christ alone. We're always asked, why do you Christians insist that there's only Christ's salvation? Why, how about the poor whatever group? Why is it that you always say it's Christ and Christ alone? You're so exclusive. You're so selfish. It's because the Bible is absolutely definitive clear. Definitively clear. There is, it is Christ alone. That is the truth of Christ alone. Ask why is it that way? Why is it that, that, that it is Christ alone and only Christ alone? Why? Why don't, why don't we have universalism? Why doesn't everybody get to believe whatever they feel like and they all go? There are obviously things that God does by himself. As I pointed out, creation, resurrection, there are other things that he does by himself that only he can do. It can't be done except by him. Ask why that is. The uniqueness of God is being stressed all over the Bible. Why? Ask why at the least. And perhaps you remember a few months back, how am I doing for time? I barely have time. 
I, I forced you all to consider the expansion of the universe. Do you remember that day? Wow, never answer yes to that because it only encourages me. <laughs> Why did I ask you to think about what is this expansion of the universe? You know, that's Hubble, 19, Edwin Hubble, 1929, figured out that the universe was expanding. Lots of people figured it out before Hubble. But he, redshift, blue Doppler effect, all of that. But uh, Hubble did discover it. Einstein, of course, in his uh, theory of relativity, made, the, made the, uh, the assertion that space was really a fabric uh, that could be distorted. And I made you read all of these verses, 42.5 of Isaiah, 44.24 of Isaiah. And I, I'm going to read them again to you. Because... They fit here. Thus says the God, I'm sorry, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I said this expansion of the universe and your eternity, your eternal living soulness, if you will, the fact that you will not perish at physical death are connected. Something about stretching the universe, the fabric of space and our spirit being created connect. What is it? What is the mystery here? Who binds up with a garment this divided? Okay, in 44, 24 through 25. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. He's your Redeemer. He's the one that saves you. And He who formed you in the womb, He's the one that forms you, that puts your spirit and your body together. I am the Lord who makes all things. So he's telling you, I am the creator. And this is proof that he is the creator. Creator, Because he stretches out the heavens all alone. It's something that he does by himself. And he says so. Who spreads above, abroad the earth by myself. Who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad. Who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness. Who are the babblers? I wouldn't want to be a babbler. He makes them mad. Frustrates them. He makes the diviners mad. But these wise men, he makes their knowledge foolishness. I've always wondered, who are the wise men there? Let me go on, uh, 44, 12. I have made the earth and created man on it, and my hand stretched out the heavens. See how he's putting these things together. And he does it alone by myself, he says. 18, 44, 18. 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. Okay? Those are the primarily the verses that present the mystery of the expansion of the fabric of the universe and connect it back to the creation. And hopefully you saw the significance, the aloneness of that. God announces that he's alone. It's I, my hands. I stretched out with my hands the, the heavens. 
It's Genesis 1, 6 through 8. It's back to Proverbs 31 through 6. He's the one that created the heavens. I, the Lord, and there is no other. Something about the creation of the heavens, the expansion of the heavens, is directly linked to the creation of living souls. I made that point months ago, as I said, and here we are finally back to it. So now we're going to do this little simple diagram in the few minutes I have left. So you've hung on through all of that to get to this very simple, very easy to understand, beautifully drawn, incredible diagram that I have with my eccentric mind developed for profit. Expect it to be sold by the million. Okay, no one but you will know about it at all, even though Dave might put it on the Internet. I, that's, I, I, you see, this, by the way, he told me he's going to film this today. Uh, he didn't know what I was going to do. But this is a camera. I didn't even know what it was for about 15 minutes. I thought it was there was nothing there. Is it still working? Huh. Okay. Here's the diagram. Proverbs 30, 1 through 6. What is his name? There's seven questions. There's Elohim. Others. I'm stupid. That's my favorite. Why does he say that he's stupid? Okay, that takes us directly to John 3, 12 through 17, where we have heavenly things. talks about creation of the heavenly things. He has ascended and descended. Okay. Moses is there. The bronze serpent. I gotta draw better because, right, I got people that might have to look at this. The Son of Man must be lifted up. The universe, God so loved his cosmos, his creation. It's frustrating to hear people say over and over, God so loved the world. And then there perish in the everlasting life. He who believes shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. And that is a belief. Okay? So, we leave that. The heavens, where did the heavens? The heavens will take us over here to Genesis. Uh, the, oh, I'm sorry. Let me forget the heavens for now. Let's just stick with the ascended and the descended. The ascended and the descended, descended will take us to Jacob's ladder. Word for word. That is Genesis 28, 10 through 13. The bronze serpent will take us to Numbers 21, 
Numbers 21 will take us to Exodus 7. Exodus 7 takes us to Genesis 3.1. How are you doing so good so far? I might miss a couple. The heavenly things take us to the stretching out in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 5, 44, 24. Oh, let me get the rest of them here. 45.12, that is the, and um, you'll have to go, 45.18, you'll have to uh, recognize that is the stretching. Stretching is one of these other things that God does by himself, which elevates it tremendously as a, tr- a fantastic piece of evidence that we are not subject to physical death. Okay, that of course is a gravitational event. That is where gravity fits. You can't stretch anything out unless you understand gravitational phenomenon. God obviously understands it. That's why I said last week that the search for what is causing gravity will lead you to who is causing gravity. And that is incredibly valuable to us. The one who is moving things like a watch or like a clock and he does it again. It's of the aloneness here. He alone does this. That's so why it's by myself. Okay? That aloneness uh, takes us to Genesis 15. Specifically, Genesis 15:9, where he says, Take me. I do it by myself. And that takes us to Genesis 22:14. Where again, he emphasizes himself. What is Genesis 22, 14? 14 and 15. That is where Abraham takes Isaac to the very exact mountain that Christ makes sure that his crucifixion occurs on. And God says, take me. Jehovah Jireh Salam. I provide myself for peace. Jerusalem. That's where that Jerusalem comes from. So the myself gets you there. Uh, Moses, as you know, takes us to Deuteronomy 18.15. Okay, that is an indirect uh, route. I could have done that better. Like unto me, like unto Moses, must hear. There's that must. He must be heard. God must be heard or it will be required. Which is accountability. Those who think there is no justice, Deuteronomy makes it clear. Like unto Moses. We, lose, we leave Moses because of the herd and we go to Luke 14.34. Actually, all of those elements from 14.25 to 14.34 um, let me get rid of that. But 34 sums it up. 34 makes sure you understand what, that Christ is declaring himself to be the prophet of the, the prophet. And I think that's it. Other than this.
where stupid, stupid takes me to Proverbs 1.22. There's your diagram. His name, by the way, is salvation. Yeshua. Or Yeshua. Salvation. That is the name of the Son that solves the mystery. There's your diagram. Pretty simple. All you have to do is figure out how all of those connect and you solve uh, so much stuff. The Elohim is Genesis 1. I can keep doing this, can't I? 1, 1 through 7. It just never stops. Uh, you, you start going around the Bible and you pretty soon recognize that something extraordinary is happening. There's so much interconnection just like our bodies. Whoever made our bodies created this Bible, created this universe with all of this interconnectivity. How simple is that, by the way, really, to be fair? It isn't simple. That's why Proverbs 1.22 is on here. It's kind of the motto of this church. How long will you love being stupid? That's what that verse says. You stupid ones, how long will you love the stupid? Let me put it this way. How long will you watch Kim Kardashian and not know anything? How long will you focus on silly, stupid things? Agar said, I am the most stupid man that ever lived, proving that he was not stupid. Because he knew those seven questions. Didn't know the answer, but what did he know? He knew the questions. That's how it works. As the musicians come forward, let us rise and be dismissed.